This is an ABC podcast. On the ABC Listen app, your smart speaker, and on AM radio. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. If you have ageing parents who still live at home, what happens when you get that sinking feeling in your stomach that maybe it's time? You've noticed the house and the garden are looking messy. Maybe they're just eating toast or snacks instead of dinner. Maybe they're just not looking like themselves or they've had a fall or they can no longer manage their medication. And you know it's time that you need to have the conversation about aged care. But where do you start? It's emotional. It's confronting. You're pretty sure they'll be resistant to the idea and you're also pretty confident that your siblings will be resistant. And maybe you're confused yourself. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host this morning, Daniel Miles, joining you from ABC Warrnambool. Daniel, the idea of having to raise with the parent, and I know this is something you've written about for the ABC website, and people can jump on and have a look at that piece. But the idea that you have to raise with the parent, that you're not coping, and I think mm. it's time for you to move out and move into aged care. Whew. Yeah, it's a heavy one, isn't it, Rochelle? Yeah. Good morning. It's sensitive, it's difficult, but really it's also a timely discussion for us to have as a nation. We live in a rapidly ageing society, which in turn is putting increased pressure on an aged care system that, if we're totally honest, has yet to fully emerge from the impacts of the devastating Royal Commission and, and what we all saw there. So when it does come to those discussions with loved ones about moving into aged care, it's it really is an understandably difficult subject to even broach. No one likes seeing aged parents or, or carers struggle to look after themselves, but when that is in turn accompanied by a refusal to accept mm. care that's needed or even see that that care is required, that can be so testing for people. We, We know that the elderly people in our society want to stay at home for longer. The stats completely bear that out. But sometimes it's a choice that a loved one, be it a parent, a carer, is no longer in a position to make themselves, which is incredibly difficult for those who are saddled with that that sense of guilt that that a lot of people feel that comes with that decision. I think there's guilt, there's fear as well. Mm -hmm. I remember having this conversation with someone very close to me and their response was, it's because it's that final stage, right? It's the last mm-hmm. place you'll ever move. Yeah. And there's fear of, well, what happens in there? What if I can't just see them whenever? What if it's not the right place? What if it's not safe? You know, there's lots of fears uh, around the care that they will give, how you will look as a child as well. You know, that guilt that you said of, mm-hmm. I'm the one that's done this, you know. But then they're not all bad. Like I look back at my... Pa's aged care home where he lived and it was awesome. It was <laughs> the most beautiful. He lived there with my nan and his sisters yeah. were there. It was like a little community, mm. but that's not always the case. But even that step before of finding the right home, mm-hmm. how do you raise it? How do you raise the conversation that you're not coping, yeah. that I think you can no longer live at home on your own and it's almost like are you stripping them of 
independence, of their yep. right, of their will to do what they choose to do because it's their life. And then what happens as a, as a result of that, as soon as you take away a level of independence, does that have accumulative effects on, on how they feel, how they can act? Maybe it is a, a, a discussion that we have earlier. We've got a, a really good panel of experts who's going to take us through this over the next hour because it is a sensitive subject to, to broach and it's a sensitive subject to talk about, even between us on the air. So there's going to be lots of mm. layers to this. So have you had to have that conversation about aged care with a parent? And if there is reluctance, there is resistance, how do you go about having that conversation? On the ABC Listen app, your smart speaker and on AM radio. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Good morning, Michelle Hunt here with you. Melbourne, Daniel Miles joining you from ABC Warrnambool. Already this text, it's from Enya and it says, maybe you should help instead of taking away your parents' freedom. Age care is basically horrible unless they want to go. What if that's not possible? What if you mm. can't be there every day? What if geography is in the way? You may not live in the same suburb or town. If you work full time, quite often you've got individuals that are juggling raising a family and aging parents as well. They're now known as the sandwich generation because they're mm-hmm. sandwiched between both lots and trying to help both lots. So is it as simple as that? I'm not sure. Not always. Robin has given us a call from South Yarra. Robin, good morning to you. What would you like to say? Firstly, I'd like to say thank you for having this conversation. I think it's really important and so pertinent to everybody at some point in their lives. Um, I've run the gauntlet of this twice and it was only towards the end of my my mother's um, situation that I uncovered this absolute nugget of, uh, of knowledge and it's linked to a thing called an advanced care directive. Mm-hmm. And the palliative team that looked after my mother said to me, everybody should have an advanced care directive from the age of about 60. And the power of the advanced care directive is that the person's wishes are absolutely adhered to. So if the person is in a situation in an aged care facility, which was the case with my mother, and they say, and she was a pharmacist, and they say, I don't want to take these medications anymore, her wishes are respected in every regard. So, Robin, can I just ask, so so this is like a death plan. Lots of people have death and dying plans now for example with an aged care directive what if the directive was i don't want to go into aged care uh well i I, well they can say that they can actually say that uh and then everybody has to as i i think they could say that but it's more linked to the level of care and their agency Mm. Once they're in that in situation. Care. So if a nurse comes to to you and you're in a hospital bed and you do not have this, or a doctor, yeah. and you do not have this advanced care directive, you can say, I, I really don't want to take that blood pressure medication. I don't want to. I don't oh, want to get out of yeah. bed. 
and they will say because it's their duty of care they will say no well this you have to take this medication well that gets really tricky robin doesn't it because then you're talking about all sorts of things in terms of what if they're not of sound mind and yet they need to take that medication but i totally understand what Mm. you're talking about and i think there's a real shift towards that as well good on you great to hear from you graham's in oakley morning graham G'day, Rich. Our situation's a little bit different. It's not my parent, it's my wife who's not there yet, but within viewing distance of aged care. And I'd like to suggest people consider a, a short respite uh, bout in aged care to get their parent or whoever it is just over the hump of being there and uh, having hopefully a positive experience on a short term, knowing that they'll they'll be released at some stage, rather than it suddenly being this. Here cat- you go. Here's yeah. your new home. Have you, oh, Graham? So, and please, if this is too personal, you don't have to answer this. But have you had a a really frank and open conversation with your wife? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She's had several bouts in respite care to give me uh, uh, some uh, time out. And it's worked out pretty well, you know. There's always issues, but um, it hasn't been catastrophic or or traumatic. Wow. Graham, how did you, if you don't mind us asking, how did you broach the subject initially? Because that's something we're going to be talking about across the hour is starting these conversations. And we're, we're hearing from a lot of people on the text line saying it's good to get in that conversation early, which it, it sounds like may have happened in your instance, but how did you even have that conversation in the first place? Oh, it was very hard. It took a long time to work up to it, but it was actually my wife who suggested it in the first place. But we, you know, we'd both been thinking along those lines. But you know, it might be different to people talking about their parents. In that, my wife is, you know, she's fully compass mentis, and there's no issues there. So, but someone, you know, who has cognitive decline, it's a whole different mm. ballgame. I don't know how to help you with that. <laughs> Oh, we wish you and your wife all the best, Graeme. Thank you for sharing that perspective. This has come through from Sally and it says, this topic is well worth fleshing out. Four years ago, my then 92-year-old mother kept resisting and it was left to me, the eldest child and only daughter, to research and to encourage my mum to leave home for aged care. She could not walk. She couldn't cook for herself. It was so stressful for me dealing with it at a time. It was in the midst of COVID. And yes, there was ignorance around what age care homes are really like. I took her to visit one and I introduced her to the other, in inverted commas, inmates, as she called them. It helped her to talk to like-minded people. The state and federal government have helped by suggesting people stay at home as long as they possibly can to support these facilities, but there's no support facilities to help them. And that's the other thing too. It's very well, it's sort of all well and good to say, well, people should stay at home. You know, mm. age in place is a term we hear a lot now, but there is huge amount of pressure and not the level of services needed for in-home care at yeah. the moment, Daniel. That, 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 that It's just not there. And sometimes you need a round-the-clock service. Someone to pop in with meals and to make a bed and to vacuum once a week probably isn't enough. And the total amount of people that are actually doing this is astronomical. 1.1 million Australians over 65 at the moment receive support and care in their own homes. So we know that that is something that people want. There's a high demand for it, but it's about how do we ensure that people have the ability and also the support Mm. to have that happen. 
Thank you for this discussion, says this text. We're in the middle of attempting to move our parents into a home closer to all of us, children and the grandkids, so we can keep supporting them to enjoy independence for as long as possible. One parent is very keen, the other is firmly protesting, and we feel like we don't know how to deal with it. It's certainly difficult, so thank you for helping all of us deal with this. Have you had to have that conversation with the parent maybe with yourself or with a sibling when it comes to, if it's time to move into aged care, how do you go about it? On the ABC Listen app, your smart speaker and on AM radio. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Good morning, Rochelle Hunt and Daniel Miles with you. So we talk about that really tricky, emotional, often guilt-ridden conversation around aged care and if it's time for your parent to move into aged care. Daniel, this is from Anonymous, and I want to read this one out. It says, my friend's 70-year-old mum is trapped caring for her 90-year-old grandmother. The older woman refuses to go into a nursing home. It's almost like a coercive control relationship where there is family obligation. The 70-year-old is unable to live her own life, constantly being on call. It's unfair and it's horrible. Older people have to not guilt their children into being their carers, or they've used the word their slave. Lee Fei Lowe is a professor in ageing and health from Sydney University and has done a paramount work of study into exactly this question. And it was raised both in our article online and at a piece on the conversation around how to have this difficult conversation with an aged parent, with someone, a carer, a loved one, and she joins us now. Lele Fow, good morning to you. Thank you for joining us and kicking off this incredibly important discussion. Let, let's take it to a basic starting point. How do you suggest that we approach this discussion? Because we know it's a veritable minefield out there and this is a really sensitive topic. So give us the, give us the, the hints, the top starts. How do, we, how do we broach this subject in a sensitive and, and careful way? Firstly, have some information. So know what perhaps additional care at home options you have and how much more support family can give. Um, The conversation needs to be broached uh, sensitively and it's probably multiple conversations, maybe by different people. So maybe the person's GP might say something. Um, It could be someone else they respect, like an auntie, or it could be, you know, the different members of of the family. I think your callers have already raised the idea of checking out a few residential Mm. aged care facilities and trying respite, so try before you buy, you know, don't just lock in a contract. Um, And they've also talked about, I guess, uh, having people make decisions while they're still able. So the concept of enduring guardianship or if if you can't make decisions, having an advanced care directive and other legal paperwork in place so that other people know what your wishes are, which is, I think, very important, but also have the legal right to make those decisions for you. Sometimes the resistance or the reluctance may not be from the parent themselves but if you it might be from other siblings if you've got a a, a largish family and the idea of aging in place and having a parent live at home quite often the responsibility of caring might fall onto let's face facts with families there's generally one person that will be picking up mm-hmm. the pieces and be the one that's there doing all of the workload and so then you're going to have resistance from siblings it's going to cause a lot of conflict so the conversations have to be, I guess, not just between the parent and child, Lee Fei, but 
between the siblings as well to make sure that it's best for everybody. Absolutely. And we've spoken to quite a few families where there is conflict and the pre-existing family dynamics play into that as well. Often it is one person, often uh, a daughter uh, who's responsible for the care and other sons or brothers and sisters think that we should keep mum and dad at home because that's what's best for them. And they kind of find it hard to either see the difficulties that mum and dad are having or the stress it's placing on the person who lives closest to them or who's doing the most physical day-to-day caring. Tony's given us a call from Finley. Good morning, Tony. G'day. Yeah, I just quickly wanted to um, tell you what happened with me, my mum. Mum and dad lived on a farm and dad died and then mum wanted to stay on the farm. And for for a few years, for four or five years, she was quite all right. And she got to a point where um, she really did need someone there with her. And there was a bit of pressure from the other siblings. Um, I was divorced and my kids had grown up and left home, so I was the free one. Um, another sister had a career which she didn't want to, um, you know, cut short. So I left my really good job that I had and moved back to, you know, Riverina to, um, from the far south coast, moved in with mum. Oh, wow. And that was, that was all right. I didn't mind. Um, we had a, you know, we loved her and we wanted to look after her. And she used to get home care as well. She was on the highest package, so she'd have two visits a day throughout the week. And she had a little go at respite for about eight weeks um, because she had a little fall and injured a leg. And we thought, okay, she's going to have a little go in the nursing home and maybe she'll, she'll like it. But she didn't. Mm. And I didn't really blame her because it wasn't very nice. Um, you know, the food was terrible hmm. and and it really was. It was things like party Such pies, a big part of it. Like it seems really trite to say, oh, the food was bad. But imagine if you had to eat bad food day in, day out. It takes any level of life and dignity away, doesn't it, Tony? Yeah, that's right. And that was the main thing, you know, main part of her day was the evening meal and she loved a bit of mashed potato and this <laughs> and that and the other. And, you know, and she just, you know, I really didn't mind. Anyway, in the end, um, she she got really crook and she died, and um, she didn't end up having to go to the nursing home. But it just seemed to me there was a huge amount of resources put into keeping her at home. Yeah. And um, I mean, I didn't mind my bit. That was fine. I, I really enjoyed having those three years there with her. Um, we had a lot of fun. But um, yeah, it was it was just a huge amount of effort. It really is. Tony, thanks for sharing your story. There's so many people saying a really similar thing and I'm glad you got to spend those final years with your mum. It's it's incredible that you were able to give up your job and, and move back in with her. So thank you for sharing that. Lee Fay, people are saying sort of similar things to Tony, actually. One here, it says, we look after my mum to give my dad respite. Uh, but she, it makes it so hard even on my husband. You know, he's very patient. Not everyone's in a position like Tony where they can give up their job and move in to care for an ageing parent. It's a really hard choice to make. Like Tony, it's a privilege if you can spend the time giving back, you know, looking after mum and dad the way that perhaps you think they looked after you. But lots of families really struggle because they have a business to run. They live far away. They've got children still at home who also need attention. And perhaps 
their relationship with mum and dad isn't the same. And even if they did want to physically move in together, that family dynamic might not work. So it's a case by case, person by person kind of decision to grapple with. And it's not a decision you make once. It's a decision that you kind of keep making as the person changes and your life circumstances change as well. Absolutely. Another question on the line is from Sarah in Port Melbourne. Good morning, Sarah. Oh, good morning. Thank you so much for this topic. I just would like to point out a couple of things. Um, Not everybody has family. Um, And I am very concerned about the ageing LGBTQI plus community Mm. who um, don't necessarily have... Uh, partners or family and feel very worried about going into aged care um, because it has traditionally been a a homophobic kind of environment. Nobody actually addresses that. You raise such a good point, Sarah. Is this something that concerns you personally as you age? Yes. Yes, um, uh, I'm on my own. I'm uh, a senior person. I don't have family. Um, and uh, the thought of going into um, a, an aged care facility is, is just not, not uh, something that I would consider because I don't believe they understand my community. Mm. Sarah, thank you. Leifei, has there been a shift in the aged care sector so that there are homes where everybody like, I mean, that breaks my heart that Sarah feels like there isn't somewhere for her to move to as she ages where she can't be a part of her community, where she doesn't have people that will potentially understand or respect her. Do we need to look at different types of homes? And I want to raise one thing here, actually. I know Maggie Beer is so passionate about aged care and she said to me the very first time I spoke to her about it, please don't call them a facility. Call them a home because Mm. these are people's homes. So I just would like to, as much as we possibly can for the next hour, call them a home as opposed to a a facility. Leifei, how can someone like Sarah find a home where she feels comfortable? Unfortunately, Sarah's right in that most of the nursing homes or, I mean, we we call them facilities because some older people say, this is not my home. So I I totally... facilities on the bloody signs. The the technical signs out the front. Yeah, so Maggie's right. We should call them homes and some people get, older people get angry at us because they say, this is my home. But anyway, so in some nursing homes... Uh, there's a few nursing homes which are LGBTQI friendly, but the majority of homes that we go and talk to the staff in, unfortunately, are not. Um, the staff will say, well, we don't have anyone like that here. And when you look at the numbers and the number of, of people, you know, who, who do identify with of that course. community, there must be. So it's... Sexuality is, is hidden. The, the 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 way that care is provided is heteronormative. The way that they assume that you have you know a, a heteronormative family is also kind of very difficult. So that I seems uh, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. Oh. It, it it's it's really sad. I think that in in terms of home care, you you've got a a, bet, a better chance yeah. of yeah. of getting a home care and a home care staff. You know, because you can, you have more choice of staff who are from your community or or understand your community. But in residential care, you have to look really hard. There are rainbow tick accreditation, but I don't know really whether that 
tick mean something truly yet? There um, is a huge, huge opportunity. <laughs> oh. Within the market, I'm actually, I'm so glad, Sarah, you rang. Thank you. I'm yeah. kind of, I feel a bit heartbroken and angry and amazed that that's the case, actually. I just find that astounding given the world and the environment and the community that we live in, that there is a very large section of people that feel like there is nowhere for them to go as they age. It's a it Disgrace. feels like this was something that really... I'm, I'm not sure here, Lee Fay, was this something that was brought up in the Royal Commission at all as part of acceptance mm. and care to an appropriate level? Because if we do have a large section of society that doesn't feel comfortable or, or safe entering an aged care home, that sounds on its front like a failing of the sector. I mean, there were lots of failings of the sector, including this one. We know that diverse communities uh, in terms of sexuality and gender but also in terms of language, uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait communities, many of those people from those communities don't feel comfortable entering a nursing home. I mean, there's messages here saying there are cultural homes for Greek and Italian, so why not for the LGBTIQ plus community? That's from Sam. Are you in the middle of having this conversation with a parent or with a sibling? If you feel like your mum or your dad as they age, that maybe being at home on their own just isn't the safest and it's time to have a conversation around aged care. ABC Listen app, your smart speaker, and on AM radio. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Good morning, Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Daniel Miles joining you from ABC Warnable as we talk about that tricky conversation around aged care. If you feel like it's time that a parent needs to move into aged care, but there's resistance either from them or from another member of the family. Lee Fay Lowe is with you. She joins us from our Sydney studios. She's a professor in ageing and health at Sydney University. And Donna Lovell is the manager of corporate and hospitality services at Chafee Aged Care in Mildura. And Donna, you've been working in the profession for decades now. What happens when you have someone come to one of your homes and they don't want to be there? How tricky is that for you as someone who works there? Uh, Yes, it can be tricky. I think it's all about working with the individual and their families to try and work through choice. But ultimately, if someone doesn't want to be here, um, aged care can't keep someone here against their will. Um, And so therefore, we have to work at ways that we can make them feel more comfortable and feel like home. We need to identify the things that perhaps they're missing um, from their former life. We encourage people here to keep as much of their old life as possible, still join in the groups that they were joining with, um, go out to events to still socialise, to have people come and visit them where they can and try and maintain as much connection as possible. Donna, one of the elephants in the room is obviously the Royal Commission into Aged Care, which we saw some truly horrendous and horrific examples broadcast out at a national level. How has the aged care sector bounced back from that to try and ward off what has been a really negative experience and make it something that for when people are in a vulnerable position, they feel comfortable and and confident entering facilities like this? Um, Look, I... I can't speak for the sector as a whole. I think there has been a lot of work done, though, in general. Um, in regards to, to Chafee, we've we've worked through a number of the issues. Um, fortunately, 
We didn't experience many of those issues here and we continue to grow and encourage those that come in to, to have a voice and to give us some feedback and we work with them to make improvements to improve the care that they have to work with their families and other connections to have a more holistic approach. So I think all we can do is keep moving forward and keep, there is a need for aged care. Um, sadly, that's the world we live in and we have to try and make that as positive an experience as possible for that person. What if the resistance isn't necessarily from the person who's moving into the home, Donna, but maybe from a, from a child from, or from you know, a, a sibling or another relative? I mean, this must be tricky for you to navigate those relationships and those emotions as well. It is. Um, it, it, look, it's it's a very challenging time, not only for the person coming into care, but for families. And I think you've talked earlier about um, demographics, people living away, people having a lot of other um, conflicting uh, things that they need to deal with in their lives. And and it's very hard to to just change all that to either provide care or to to support someone and and some people go through guilt they go through a number of emotions i mean i personally believe that that people are grieving from day one the minute that they identify Mm. that someone needs to come into care it's a grieving process Mm. and for each person that grief is different and some people will be resistant to it Um, some people will feel that they may, what else could we have done? Could we could we just pack up and move from far north Queensland, for example, and come to Mildura, which is like one end of the earth That's to the hot. other. But yeah. anyway, um, same sort of um, weather. But but. That's a big decision and and it's not often until someone comes to visit, they come for for Easter or they come for a celebration, that suddenly they see mum or dad, their aunt or or their their loved one in a different light because they might have FaceTime, they might have other connections because we're all connected through IT and other forms. But it's until you're actually with someone that you can see how they may have declined, how they may not be quite keeping their house as well as what you know mum or dad used to or that they're just not quite engaged with you like they used to be and and suddenly you're confronted with that and how do we how do we have that conversation Mm. I think for me the the blessing is where the person can be involved in the decision um and not have it taken away from yeah yeah, the system does take over a bit if there's a trigger event and they go sadly to hospital and um it may be deemed that they can no longer be on their own um but it's about how and that's very confronting for someone to suddenly find out i can't go back to my life that you mentioned hospital there because there's a few texts saying if you don't do what feels right or what is right and get them into aged care then if something happens and they end up in hospital then that, that might be the point where they're actually not allowed to leave hospital because it's unsafe mm. for them to do that yeah, yeah absolutely donna thank you very much for your expertise and your comments this morning no worries thank you thank you both that was donna lovell the manager of corporate and hospitality services at chafee aged care center in mildura making a, a really salient point about agency and the role that i guess feeling in control takes good morning pam oh good morning this is such a great subject look i'm in my late 80s and i'm in receipt of a my care package 
Um, and I have made plans for what I want to do when I am no longer able to look after myself. Now, if I hadn't have had this package, I would not have been able to have moved into the apartments. I do live in a, a retirement village. Mm-hmm. And it is so good to know, and I'm sure for my daughter, that I can move into a package when I need more help, with this package rather, when I need more help. And I would urge people, if it's at all possible, to make plans for the future. I still have my marbles, but my body's breaking (laughs) down. And you know, but this is it. But you know what's so important to people? Mm. I have someone who comes and helps me. I'm writing a novel on my mother's life. And I also have someone who takes me out, who walks me down the street. And that's so important to have someone to talk to. Oh, so I'd urge everyone to do as much as they can so the burden isn't on their children. Pam, thank you so much for your call. And good luck with the novel. How's it going? Oh, I'm almost there. Are you? Oh. Huh? So I must get it done before oh. I jump off the planet. Yeah, <laughs> Pam, you have to keep us in the loop with this novel. And thank you for calling. Rochelle and I are both smiling ear to ear just from having you on the line. Uh, Lee Fay-Low is with you in our Sydney studios, Professor of Ageing in Health. I mean, first things first, Pam is an absolute legend, but there's quite a few calls, and we'll go to Veronica in just a moment as well, talking about having that plan in place, Lee. How important is that? I think these conversations are so important. Uh, Pam is in control of her life in control of the support that she's getting. And she's told her daughter, presumably, you know, what she wants to happen if she needs more help. I think putting, if, if your head is in the sand, then you lose control because you can't, you're not, you don't have the inf- information to make the decisions. Uh, if you're going to downsize your home, for example, or move closer to where family is or closer to transport, then proactively think about that rather than kind of, presuming that your body and your marbles are going to keep running mm. till you you know till you just go to sleep one night and it stops because for most people that doesn't happen. Lee, so many things to get through and before we have a chat to relationships Victoria about how we can sort of navigate the tricky business that is siblings that maybe don't agree or parents and children that don't agree. There's just one question here and I think it's actually a great question. It says why can't we look at design? So the difference between something that feels like a hospital or something that feels like a home, you know, whether or not it feels homely, how much of that comes into this conversation so that you don't feel like you're going into a, you know, an institution as such? We actually have lots of research evidence now about uh, environmental design that makes facilities feel like homes mm. uh, we we there's there's increasing evidence that small smaller units uh, are better so tw- say 12 to 20 people living together or even 12 12 to 14 is better smaller is better rather than huge places which do feel like a hospital we know quite a lot about how to lay out the rooms you let people bring the stuff from home so it doesn't feel like a hospital there's actually lots of evidence on how to do this the problem is that nursing homes vary in kind of how well they've done this and it's 
quite expensive to retrofit. So it's an investment to redesign mm. your home to make them more home-like, though it is possible. We see some very nice examples of this. And garden being one of them, I know my pa. Mm-hmm. Man, the tomatoes that he grew in little polystyrene boxes out on his balcony, <laughs> whatever it may be, but having a garden space and green space as well. If we haven't read out your text, apologies. They are coming in at a rate that we can just physically not keep up with. We'll try and get through as many of them as we can. We'll try and get to your calls in just a moment as well. On the ABC Listen app, your smart speaker and on AM radio. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Rochelle Hunt and Daniel Miles with you. Lee Fei Lowe is with us as well. She joins us from our Ultimo Studios, a professor in ageing and health from Sydney University. As we look into the conversation and how you raise the fact that maybe you have an ageing parent that needs to go into aged care. Elizabeth Shaw is from Relationships Australia. Words, Elizabeth, like guilt, fear, grief have been mm-hmm. used today. Wowee. I mean, these are probably some of the biggest, hardest conversations we'll have, you would think, and especially if you're having to raise it with a parent as a child. Look, absolutely. And the fact that this happens in the context of a very long and rich and potentially complicated relationship, um, that it's it's both a life stage that has to be considered in and of itself, but you can't help but look at how this decision rests in a context um, over many years and that every sibling um, or partner is going to bring their own agenda, history, concerns to that decision. Elizabeth, how do we deal with the guilt that Mm. comes with this decision? That's something that we're hearing a lot on the text line, that there's a a level of guilt and people saying, if I had my time again, I would do this, this and that. That's something that weighs really heavily on on people who are helping making this decision for, for an older person. How do you recommend we deal with that guilt? Well, a lot of it is, um, as you've had various people comment about having the conversations in advance, because I think sometimes the guilt is magnified because people have been rushed into decisions. have had to just sort of forge ahead yeah. in some way where they don't feel they've got all their options. And a lot of the guilt is if I had my time over, I'd you know, visit more homes first or I'd, you know, do my homework or I'd have tried home care for longer or whatever it is. But sometimes people just, you know, haven't um, had the time to do what they see as their best. I think too that over the course of a long relationship, all sorts of things are said at different times. So, you know, maybe a parent in their 40s and 50s might be saying as a joke kind of to their kids, don't ever put me at home. Mm. Um, and and then when the life stage happens, you've got all these sort of comments ringing in your ears and sometimes they're said at different times for different reasons. Um, I think a lot of people also don't fact check what is going to happen. There are some people who actually do better when they enter aged care because they have been lonely, they have been a bit depressed. They're not having the socialisation that they'd like and so... We put staying at home as the holy grail as if there is, you know, that we don't sort of unpack what that is. What is someone's home life like? Um, So there are some people who actually do better. But again, the guilt that you ever even thought such a thing, that you planned such a thing, that you 
let that happen um, is being managed without that broader context. It feels like there's a real shift now in the individual in having that agency and in having an aged ageing plan, you know, um, and it's something that as a society, gosh, we're only just starting to talk about death, even though it's inevitable, right? It's coming mm-hmm. to all of us. As a society, we don't talk about it. Aged care is up there as well. Let's not talk about it. It's something that's taboo and what will happen. And that idea, Elizabeth, like you said, sometimes you, something will happen. So there'll be an accident or a fall or, you know, maybe something medical. And then you have to make that decision really quickly if as an individual, as, you're, as, we're, as we age, we have that plan in place, does that make it easier for everybody? It makes it so much easier. Um, in a lot of the work that we do, <clears throat> where a family has identified that conflict is emerging, um, and ideally where the decision is coming up rather than the decision is right here and we've got to decide by Friday. You know, if it, if it is, look, we're entering this stage and your siblings are already arguing or there's already a problem afoot, to be able to have a conversation, um, and often it is a facilitated conversation, certainly it's increasing work that we're doing at Relationships Australia in, in trying to talk to people about what's coming up. And sometimes it might be the siblings getting together without the older person to talk about what's coming up between their generational level. I don't mean to have a conversation without, without the older them. person, yeah, but yeah. to deal with their own stuff, you know. Yeah. By um, the way, if also, this and when this happens to me type thing. Well, exactly. And about, you know, this, this is a life stage that we're entering together and we're already arguing between us. Um, how are we going to manage ourselves? But yeah. I think it is also where the older person themselves may need some assistance to adjust to the the realisation that they're entering that life stage themselves because some of the you mustn't do this or that to me is based on um, fear and grief of their own that, that life is changing for them and they're managing their out-of-control terror in, in building in more rigidity and rules and imposition on younger members of the family. And so maybe it is actually naming that and saying, look, this is a really scary time and you are losing control and we don't want to be disrespectful. How can we talk about, how do we open the conversation up? Um, I think the other thing that perhaps hasn't been raised yet, which sadly does swirl around at the moment and we're doing increasingly you know, work in this space, is you know the cost of living and the cost of um, aged care and inheritance in patients yes. that's also happening yep. and there's a lot of families are seeing some of the ways their siblings are dealing with things where and another agenda might be running um, which might most force someone to stay out of aged care because we don't want to waste money on that yeah. um, oh, or we've the done, opposite we've let's done put an, them somewhere cheap so we yeah. keep our inheritance there, we've done an entire program on that because that is so tricky and it starts to touch into the world of elder abuse and people holding on to family homes and not wanting ageing parents to go into aged care purely for inheritance. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Really great advice. Elizabeth Shaw there from Relationships Victoria. Lee Fay Lowe is with you as well, Professor in Ageing and Health at Sydney University. Kate is in Ballarat. Good morning, Kate. Hi. Um, yeah, I just was talking to you. I've recently had to have my mother enter a home 
And it was kind of sudden. She was really adamant she didn't want to go into a home. We're kind of not a neurotypical family. We like to sort of look after ourselves and we're not that into um, socialising so much. And she moved up next to me and we had a lot of um, carers come in and help mum with, um, you know, meals on wheels Mm. and cleaning and that sort of stuff. But she started getting really confused and trying to convince my mother that she was actually confused. I sort of would take her to the doctor and say, well, we just need a baseline, mum. It's it's not that I think you're going mad. I just think you need a, a sort of baseline to judge it. Which Absolutely. was um, the hardest part because she, I could see the fear in her eyes. She knew that something was wrong, and she couldn't um, sort of. Justify. And what happened once? So she, what happened once she moved in to the home? Kate, did she feel better about things? No, she didn't, and she's still very uh, reluctant to be there. Um, I think. I feel really guilty that that's what it's come to. She had a fall and then uh, we all had COVID and we couldn't pick her up from the mm. hospital and that sent her into a very bad mental state. Oh. So oh, when she got into the hospital, it was meant to be respite and then it was moved quickly then to memory care because she wouldn't stay in her bed and that sort of stuff. So nowadays i go in there and some days she's like not you can see that she's not able to look after herself another day she's quite lucid and you're kind of thinking well maybe she shouldn't be there and all this sort of stuff which is very hard to handle okay we wish you all the best my goodness this is why this is why it's such a such a tricky conversation Lifei, how do you deal with that situation? Because that's obviously yeah. something that's very common as well. When when there is a an elderly person or a loved one that goes into a home and the decline is sudden and steep, I imagine that's quite common. Yeah, so it, it sounds like there's cognitive impairment there, possibly dementia. Uh, our website, facedementia.com.au, actually has a whole section on how to raise the issue if you think the person might have memory or thinking difficulties and do what Kate did, get them to the doctor because I don't think we can make the decision. We need a a health professional to make that decision. Uh, So if the person can't make good decisions themselves, then that you need support, I suppose, to make that judgment. Um, So you should see your health professionals about that. Perfect. Marta has given us a call from Kiwa. Good morning, Marta. Oh, good morning. Um, my goodness, so many of these uh, things are being brought up. I'm, I relate to. Um, I moved to uh, care for my father um, in 2018 to care for him in his home, help him stay in his home for as long as possible. Um, he's, he has Parkinson's and also is neurodiverse. Um, and uh, so it took quite a long time for um, him to agree to even go into respite so I could have a break because I have no other help apart from, yes, he was on a care package. And um, once he went in to have his respite, it was a, barely a week and he was inquiring about staying there permanently. Mm. Um, and in the end, um, this is during COVID, and in the end he, um, he never came home. I just had to manage everything you know, to make it all happen. He's now in in high care. Before all that, we did make sure that we had all of the legals in place, power of attorney, the will was all done how he wanted it. 
the conversations I had with my brothers as to what needed to happen there, that was all fine. Um, I live in Dad's house, um, continue to now. And um, but uh, what we have, the issue that I have um, is that I'm constantly having to advocate for him because he was never diagnosed, you know, he's 85, so he was never diagnosed with, you know, <laughs> um, autism or anything yeah, along those right. lines. You know, I've had to explain to the staff and every time staff change, I have to go in and explain again how he is and how they need to deal with that and that, um, you know, don't make jokes at his expense. He doesn't understand. All you do is upset him. Um, yeah, <laughs> and absolutely. then the other issue is he's vegetarian. Um, uh, and he's the only vegetarian in the facility. Oh gosh, is he um, just getting some side serve? Is he getting okay food? Often the vegetarian uh, yeah, option he's is a better. Lot of supplementation <laughs> in you know drinks and things like yeah. that, you know. But I cook for him, so you know I'm always you know every couple of weeks I'm taking over taking in food. you know containers that are properly labelled, single portion sizes, how to serve it. Um, you know, I bake his bread. He made his own bread his entire life. So I baked the bread for him the way he used to make it, except no seeds. He can't cope with the um, textures so much anymore. So, you know... Um, Just doing what you can, now, I guess. Yeah, and they're the things that make people feel like home as well. Yeah. And the fact that you're able to do that, Marta... I just think is incredible. Lee Fay, we couldn't keep up with the calls and texts today. This is something that pretty much affects everyone in our society. Just quickly, we didn't touch too much on the food, but as much, oh, like I know I'm obsessed with food, right? But it, oh, yeah. it, it's a big part of our lives and what determines whether or not we feel like we have dignity. Then you bring culture into it as well. It's an important part of this conversation, isn't it, to, to talk about the meals that you're served and the food that you eat? It absolutely is. It's the thing that has the highest complaints in um, from from people living in nursing homes. And when you go and visit a home to see if it's suitable, try and be there for a mealtime, ask for the menu, then look at it because what's written on the menu often doesn't match what it looks yes, like. The reality. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and... And so I think it's a huge, it makes a huge difference. And there's lots of ways of making the home feel like home if the food feels like home as well. I couldn't agree more. Lee Faye, thank you so much for the work that you do in this space. It, it's really important. And hopefully today's conversation will just give people just that little bit of confidence to be able to have that next conversation with a parent or with a sibling and do so with nothing but respect. Lee Fei Lowe, Professor in Ageing and Health at Sydney University, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Rochelle and Daniel. And people can read more from Lee and from you, Daniel, as well on the ABC's website because you've looked into this with Lee. And we have to apologise again. I hate it when oh. we get so many incredible heartfelt texts and we don't get a chance to read them out. So they have been seen and we always stay back and read them. Absolutely. We read through the entire text message list after every show and I think we're going to be here for a little while after today, Rochelle, because there have been some really inspiring uh, and lengthy messages. So thank you, everyone, for your involvement. It's... It's obviously a subject that impacts everyone and it's touched a lot of people. Daniel Miles, as always, thank you. Now, the Conversation Hour is a podcast, so if this is a show you want to share with someone, go to the ABC Listen app, download and subscribe. Speak to you tomorrow.